0: Welcome to Public Historians at Work, a podcast series from the Center for Public History at the University of Houston. Over the course of the 20th century, Houston evolved into a global city as immigrants from across the world came to call the city home. In this special supplement, undergraduate students from the University of Houston explore Houston's undertold immigrant stories, Together, they reveal a range of experiences that uncover often-overlooked textures of the city. In this episode, students recount the lives of Jewish Latin Americans who settled in 1960s and 1970s Houston. These immigrants belong to two ethnic groups, and while building a life in their new homes, they created a new community of their own. Let's listen in.
1: How did a meeting between dictator Fidel Castro and a Houston congressman, Mickey Leland, help a young Jewish prisoner in a labor camp become a successful doctor in Miami. Such is the story of Solomon Imiak, a Jewish Cuban immigrant who first arrived in the United States in 1985. While his story of rescue through political negotiation is rare, Imiak's story is the accumulation of multiple histories going back generations. When you think about immigration, you may think it goes something like this. An individual decides that they want to seek a better life somewhere else. They make a smooth or arduous journey and over time, learn how to adjust to their new environment. However, the specific pathway that immigrants take are dependent on many other factors. These include the pathway traveled before them by other immigrants, the historical context of their immigration, and a history of community building in the host country. Once immigrants move, they don't end their contact with their homeland. Most remain in communication with friends and relatives back home and send back information and resources. Some immigrants' journeys are a straight arrow. Others are circular or a triangle or a web. As we will see with Salomon Imiak's story, his pathway was neither linear nor simple. His life took him from Cuba to Houston, Venezuela, Mexico, and Miami, where he lives now. Salomon's story is about the unique journey, but it is also a story about immigration, history, politics, community, and so much more. Before we dive into Solomon's story, it is important to give some background information. First, let's talk about Cuba during the Cold War. After Castro's takeover in 1959, Cuba would become a communist nation. This would not sit well with the United States, which broke ties with Cuba in 1961. Tensions were heightened the following year during the Cuban Missile Crisis, Cuban citizens were restricted from many liberties, and the government had full power and control over businesses, industries, and the lives of the Cubans. In addition to the lack of freedom, Cuban citizens faced the fear of possibly being detained and put into labor camps. These labor camps were not voluntary and were essentially slave labor. Cuba also required Cubans to serve three years of military service. Cubans fled Cuba for various reasons, such as opportunities elsewhere, fleeing political persecution, and a lack of individual rights. Cubans faced the risk of death by government when fleeing Cuba, but took the risk anyways. During the Cold War, the U.S. essentially encouraged Cuban immigration. Due to the United States disdain for Cuba, Congress passed the Cuban Adjustment Act. This granted Cubans an effective pathway to flee Cuba and become a permanent resident in America. The first few waves of Cuban immigrants in the 1960s and 70s were mostly white, educated Cuban citizens. Cubans flocked to South Florida and many found refuge in Miami where a huge Cuban-American community gradually formed. Cuban-Americans saw themselves as immigrants against their will and many cherished hopes of returning one day. Because of their situation, Cuban Americans were highly opposed to Castro and the Communism, and many were supportive of the U.S. during the Cold War. Salomon Imiak was born in Cuba on June 5, 1960. As the eldest of three sons, he spent his childhood in Havana. His grandparents were Jews from Eastern Europe who immigrated to Cuba, and he attended a Jewish school until the fifth or sixth grade, at which Castro intervened and shut down religious-based education. His family was not Orthodox, and they were mixed in with large Cuban communities, His neighborhood called them Polakos, or Poles. The Ymyaks observed Jewish traditions and holidays. However, their religious practice came into conflict with his parents, involved in the Communist Party.
2: I think it's important you know that my parents at the beginning of the revolution was somebody who represented Castro and uh, traveled all over the world, representing the Communist Party. At some point, when they when he returned after several years, they asked him if he want to be a communist and to be a communist, he need to refuse to. Or they asked him, Polaco, uh, we heard that you're Jewish, and he said, Yes, you, we are, I'm a Jew. I'm not a religious man, but I cannot um, deny God. And when he decided that he was going to deny God, and he or they asked him to deny God, and that said, No, he was. Uh, demoted from the national position.
1: His parents got in contact with Hayas, a Jewish immigration organization which helped them and Salman's youngest brother leave and resettle in Venezuela. Salman and his brother Abraham stayed in order to finish their med school degrees. But unfortunately, when they declared that they wanted to leave, they were detained and sent to labor camps. At the camp, Salman was forced to do construction from 5.30 a.m. into the night. While working, Salman suffered a serious accident.
2: So we were in concentration camp uh, in uh, in Cuba and unfortunately I fell from a Russian truck and I broke my left knee and after several uh, weeks unable to walk well, they took me to the hospital and they uh, removed my meniscus and they never repaired the ligaments. So I had to walk with crutches. So I wasn't able to work anymore, so they sent me home.
1: This is the part where Mickey Leland and Houston enter the story. Mickey Leland was a Democrat in the Texas House of Representatives and the chair of the Congressional Black Caucus. He attended Texas Southern University, a historically black college, and developed a passion for social justice causes, such as poverty, activism, and civil rights. He had close ties to the Jewish community in Houston, and he was an advocate for improving the Jewish-Black relations as well as humanitarian efforts. Because of this, he had the support from the Jewish community and was invited to speak at events hosted by Jewish organizations. One such organization located in Houston was named the ORT, which Solomon's aunt Ruth Halfon was involved with. Through this interaction, Ruth was able to talk to Leland and advocate on behalf of her nephew. Leland offered his help, and a sympathetic Houston oilman donated a plane soon after Leland flew to Cuba. The negotiation was not without compromise. There were obligations and political concerns there was a requirement that the brothers could only stay in the United States for three months. On February 3rd, 1985, when Salomon was 24 years old, the Imiaka brothers left Cuba, taking nothing with them. The next fascinating part of the story was what happened when the brothers first landed in the U.S., They initially touched down in Miami, but were, in Solomon's words, forced to leave by the Cuban-American community. This might seem confusing, like, why would the Cubans in Miami be against helping one of their own countrymen? This is where the intersection of Solomon, Cuban, and Jewish identities become relevant.
2: I think because uh, with all fairness, I I bet you that they feel why they allow the two Jewish boy to escape cuba when you have a lot of cubans that are not allowed to leave and you know why why they allow them and so i think it was a matter of uh, expressing feelings of frustration why these two boys could escape and all my family
1: cannot escape through the first part of the story of Solomon imiak you were able to see multiple pivot points and intersections His story is dramatic, involving imprisonment, injury, and intense rescue. However, it will not be possible without the pre-existing connections between immigrant communities or Mickey Leland history of social justice work. It is the work of both individuals and entire communities that allow miraculous stories like Solomon's to be possible. After the three months allowed by Castro's were up, Salomon and his brother moved down to Venezuela to join their family. In Venezuela, he did high school, pre-med, and seven semesters of medicine again for the second time, even though he had already spent years training in Cuba. After Venezuela, he went back to Houston where he married his wife, Esther, who was also Cuban and Jewish. Once they married, Salman tried to get his medical degree accepted into the U.S., but they were both rejected, only getting him one year of credit for all of his training. There are many obstacles for immigrants trying to obtain work in the United States. Even for those with extensive education and training, all of the institutions don't accept or respect credentials from abroad. Some immigrants who might have been a doctor or engineer in the past find themselves forced to take up blue-collar jobs for minimum wage. Others like Salomon find alternative pathways to pursue the career that they want. Thus, Salomon and Esther found themselves moving to Monterey, Mexico, where Salomon entered med school for the third time. After doing an internship in social service in Monterey, he finally finished his training and tried once again to get into residency program in Houston. The next obstacle that Solomon had to overcome was the language barrier. He studied for 9 months, 16 hours a day, and during the process failed the English exam 10 times. Through sheer determination, he persevered after each failure until he finally succeeded in getting the Houston residency in anesthesia, This feat, while impressive, is revealing of the barrier that immigrants face trying to transfer their skills from one nation to another, as well as the example of how people find ways to overcome those barriers. Solomon demonstrates how an immigrant journey does not have to be straight or one way. It might take frustrating commitment or long detours, but people will find the way. An immigrant's story is deeply personal and unique to them. However, one person's story can also be a window into a much larger picture of his stories and communities and social structures. Today we see Salman Enoch now living and practicing medicine in Miami, Florida with his children, who are also on their own educational path. He is a Jewish Cuban man, an immigrant, and a doctor. He has also a son, a grandson, a brother, and a nephew. He is an exile a victim of Castro's regime. He is a non-native English speaker entering an English-dominated system. He is a human being whose experience and perspective I and you, the listener, can learn from. In his own words, emphasize the importance of dedication and education.
2: Castro was able to take our freedom from us or any political regime, or the Nazis was able to take our freedom but they were unable to take from us our educations and an intellectual desire to be successful in life.
0: Thank you for joining us for this special episode of Public Historians at Work. You can hear more recorded immigrant stories at the UH Special Collections Houston History Project at .uh libraries.uh.edu. To learn more about the Center for Public History and support student work like this episode, find us at uh.edu/class/cph or on social media at uhcphistory. Remember, we are all keepers of our history.